Today's Spotlight is brought to you in part by presenting sponsor, Busey Bank. Busey, your dream, our promise. Welcome to Spotlight. I'm your host, Jane Wernette. And joining me now are three local nonprofit organizations, Little Friends, Catholic Charities at the Diocese of Joliet, and Turning Point Autism Foundation. watching Spotlight. And joining me today from Little Friends Inc. is Mike Briggs, who is the president and CEO, and Camille Smith, who is the VP of schools. So welcome to Spotlight. Well, thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's awfully nice to have you. And I know, much like every other nonprofit, this COVID-19 pandemic has impacted your organization. And I'd love to know more about how it's impacted Little Friends and what you've done to deal with that situation. You know, like like every business, when we were given notification by the state that uh, things needed to change and we needed to implement the shelter-in mandate, um, we received that notification on a Friday afternoon about 1.30. And by, by 3 o'clock, we had notice to the schools that we were shutting down. We began implementing shutdowns and all of the other uh, therapy programs we had. And our, our adult day center um, was basically shut down by the beginning of that following Tuesday. Um, everything changed and went from an on-site operating program to everything was being done remotely with the use of technology. Um, I can tell you that um, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm really um, pleased and we're fortunate to have made the investments in technologies, it's not as though we knew that something like this was going to happen, but I can tell you that having had the technology, it made the pivot to working remotely so much easier than what it would have been had we had to try to take a, a paper-based system and try to execute that on a remote basis. It would have been next to a bit impossible. But as we, as we basically went into working remotely and had done so until phase four really began, um, we, we pivoted. Our Center for Autism started doing telehealth. Our schools all implemented within a couple of days it was amazing, and I know Camille will talk about that, but they did an incredible job implementing remote learning programs. Uh, our adult programs that, that we had on site, they immediately took people away uh, and asked us to, to have them stay at their homes because of the concern for the older adults um, and, and are considered medically fragile in terms of uh, some of the things that they're dealing with and the risk of what would happen if they were to get COVID was really serious. and so. We did that. Um, our residential program stayed open the entire time, but how we operated the residential program in terms of the safety measures that we implemented were critical. And I can tell you that um, one of the things that we took and have taken great pride in is the fact that at least through today, since all of this started, we've yet to have a person that we've cared for that's come down with the virus. And um, we've taken the safety of our employees and the safety of the people that we care for really, really uh, important as a high priority and some of the things we've taken in terms of being conservative, fortunately to this point have, have worked out okay and we hope we'll continue to do so. 
Well, I think that's uh, really very commendable. And I know, as you stated, you, you work with a population that is already uh, fragile. And uh, so all of those ex uh, extra precautions are so important. And Camille, you know, you, you're obviously running the schools. So let's talk a little bit about that, because with phase four, we're now talking about the reopening. And, you know, the State Board of Education has provided some guidance to both public and private schools. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're being asked to do and what you're doing to make sure that going forward, all of your students and teachers are safe if they're coming on site. Jane, yes, we we have uh, quite a bit of guidance that we've received in that part three transition joint guidance document that was issued by ISBE as well as IDPH. Uh, and that collaboration between the two has really given us very robust guidelines to follow uh, in terms of uh, guidance on health issues, uh, student learning, uh, assessment, and uh, even mental health. So the, the issues that we look at with regard to safety, and as Mike pointed out, that safety of our, our students and our staff is really critical to us and very important. We're looking at social distancing. We're looking at hand hygiene. We're looking at uh, our ability to put in protocols that address uh, events and how we move through the building. So all of those health guidance, how, um, how we are required to wear masks uh, to protect ourselves and to protect others. So there's quite a bit of guidance around that. There's also quite a bit of learning that our students and our staff need to do. Our staff has done a remarkable job of incorporating that into our summer program, helping students and their families uh, practice using masks. So we, we've really taken that to heart and provided multiple opportunities for our students to learn those skills. In terms of student learning, that is also a very critical piece of that guidance document. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about how students are um, very likely to come back to school with uh, some learning gaps. And so we want to make sure that we take every, um, every opportunity to do a variety of both uh, formal and informal assessment of our students. We were very fortunate at the end of in-school learning in March, we had just completed our assessment of students. So we have a really strong base for data that we can use. Um, we'll use formative assessment where we look at students in um, class and as they are doing activities. Um, and then of course, the mental health component that we talked about, the, uh, the stress of being out of school has been significant for our students and our families. We've been um, attending lots of webinars and listening to a lot of experts. And what we're hearing and what we know from our own practice is that our students are going to have a period of readjustment when they come back. It's going to be important that we reestablish that student to teacher rapport, that student to related service provider rapport, the uh, rapport from student to student. Uh, as well as our, our staff to staff rapport. That's going to be critical in reestablishing that therapeutic milieu that we're so very proud of. Um, we've done quite a bit of work through remote learning and through the summer of providing opportunities for our students to connect with each other via Zoom meetings, uh, via teleconferencing and telehealth and um, some activities of beginning to return to the campus 
um, in a very uh, guided way and sure. practice using masks. So we, we really are, I think, doing a great job of putting together our protocols and our policies and have had a team working on this um, since the beginning of ESY, yeah. our extended school year. I'm sure. Well, and, you know, as you talk about kind of that transitioning back to school now, I know, Mike, schools are not the only program that Little Friends uh, operates. So can you say a little bit more about what's happening with those other programs and when you expect those to open? Yeah, absolutely. Um, phase phase four was or in the beginning of phase four was really critical for us to begin to start doing some things. Um, our Center for Autism is now open and, and children are now coming in for both diagnostic evaluations and some therapies, um, but it's not without um, one family at a time. It's not without wearing masks. It's not without uh, temperature taking upon arrival, making sure that everyone's safe. Um, I mean, those really are kind of the standards that I think all of us are expected to do when you come into an organ come into a business. Um, we're looking at uh, reopening respite uh, conversations about even the possibility of doing it a little bit sooner than when school restarts in the, in the uh, fall. Um, we're considering or giving consideration to having some respite programs on the outside um, and, and weather dependents may be doing that because we know from feedback that families are, are looking for the respite services. It would help them a great deal. Um, probably the, the one program that's still in delay and, and it's the one that interestingly enough, the state of Illinois has asked us to reinvent ourselves on is our adult program. They've taken a very strong position, as I said, about the safety of the adults that we care for. And uh, they've used the phrase reinvent yourself and they've asked us to do that sort of in the next 60 days. Um, now, they're not, not everything's gonna be done, but I can tell you that um, we're looking at some things where we've had in the past, we've had as many as 175 adults in one facility and there, there are guidelines that are similar to every other organization which says no more than 50. And so they're asking us to rethink how we do that. How do we provide um, something that provides a quality of life and meaning to the individual, gives them choice, but doing it in a way that um, provides them uh, a safe environment. So they're asking us to look at more outside activities um, and, and smaller groups the, the phrase large congregate settings is the one that seems to be used a lot that they're not going to allow as a state. And so that's the that's kind of the thing we've got. Um, residential, all of our homes will now all be open by, um, by the end of this weekend, actually. So uh, we'll have everything all set up and then everything will be operating. Okay. So, I mean, you know, I, I, and I think this is the thing, right? Everybody's trying to remodel while still operating and that that's challenging, uh, particularly in the nonprofit world where we're already very resource stressed to begin with. Right. So that's tough. I, you know, in, in all honesty, I, I'd be surprised. We had a board meeting this morning and I made a comment in our board meeting that doing the pivot and going to remote work really was relatively easy actually reopening is is really pretty challenging and and trying to do it right and keep people safe and trying to think through things that you haven't thought through in the past quite honestly that's a that's a challenge for any organization so that's kind of that's kind of where i see it and uh, no we still have some work to do to make sure we're doing it right yeah absolutely camille as we're wrapping up here any kind of just last thoughts as it relates to the school and kind of that innovation approach to reopening 
Yes, definitely. We, we feel that we are doing a really good job with looking at our guidance and our guidelines and yet being flexible in order to accommodate the needs of the families. I think that uh, the needs of our students are unique and the needs of our families are unique. And so as we look at, at re-implementing program and redesigning, um, it, it's a very creative and collaborative effort. I'm very proud that our, our team has really pulled out all the stops in terms of looking at how do we accommodate uh, providing a rich and safe learning environment for our students. Wonderful. Mike, in kind of just one sentence, the thing you're most proud of as you look ahead. Oh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the way that the team has adapted to the challenges and the adversity, adversity that it was it was uh, presented with, um, it handled it. The team handled it amazingly well, um, and and so really really proud of that. But uh, the new normal is going to be different, and we uh, we all every organization still needs to understand that they they're going to have to uh, embrace change and. Um, and innovate because quite honestly, our organizations and every organization's ability to survive is gonna be based upon that willingness to innovate and improve with what the new normal allows us to do. Yeah, well said, well said. Well, listen, I know that Little Friends is in good hands with the both of you. I wish you all the best in the transitioning as we approach the fall and uh, thank you for stopping by Spotlight. Thanks and if you are me. interested in learning more about Little Friends, uh, please go and visit their website. We're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned. We're coming right back with more Spotlight. For more than 150 years, you've believed in Busey. Today, more than ever, we believe in you. To our healthcare workers, first responders, and local businesses, you're central to the communities we're proud to call home. Busey's grateful to partner with you and your families through life's ups and downs, today and for generations to come. Because as neighbors helping neighbors, we're in this together. Busey, grateful to serve the communities we call home. NCTV 17's news team brings you coverage that is specific to Naperville, accurate, and up-to-date on the latest developments in our community. These stories keep us informed and inspired. These stories bring us together. If you value your local nonprofit television station, please make a donation so NCTV 17 can continue its mission of telling local stories on air and online. If you're just tuning in, you're watching Spotlight. I'm your host, Jane Wynette, and joining me now from Catholic Charities, Diocese of Joliet, is Amy Palumbo. So welcome, Amy. Hi, nice to, nice to be here. Yeah, super happy to have you on the show today. And I'm going to just start right off with giving people an idea about what services Catholic Charities provide. So please tell. So Catholic Charities, we're a non-for-profit uh, faith-based organization. Our mission is to provide services to people in need and call others of goodwill to do the same. Our agency programs are all designed to promote self-sufficiency and human dignity, integrity for all that we serve. Our goal is really to empower clients to achieve what is necessary to live satisfying and productive lives. 
Um, the agency provides multiple services. We have aging and disability, early childhood services, counseling, as well as community services. So Amy, Catholic uh, Charities, and now they're across the country, right? So they're divided out by the diocese. Is that how that works? That's correct. So the Diocese of Joliet covers seven counties. It's pretty vast. Um, we serve DuPage, Will, Kendall, uh, Ford, Kankakee, Iroquois, and Morris counties. So talk a little bit, if you would, about the role of the case manager, because I know that's a pivotal piece, right, within your organization. Yes, yeah, so a case manager's role is to provide comprehensive needs assessments for clients that are seeking services through our organization. They begin with uh, completing intake screenings that identify clients' needs, the resources that they do have available for them, and their financial strengths. The ultimate goal uh, is to address the barriers that they're facing to achieve that self-sufficiency and independence. So. And it's not just for the person that we're seeing, you know, it may be just the individual, but it, it is family as a whole as well. The intake and needs assessment that we use helps guide and develop what we call clients' individualized service plans. And these service plans identify goals that will lead to the positive outcome that they're looking for. And, you know, our case managers are all educated on the community resources that may be available to help clients achieve their goals and they understand how you know and, and and are aware of what referrals can be provided a big role that case managers take on is also to assess um each client's eligibility for mainstream benefits so that's you know medicaid tanf ssi ssdi you know snap food stamps as well as veteran services and so when we are meeting with a client who is not receiving benefits, the case manager's job is to assist them in enrolling in, in those programs. So, Amy, uh, that's a lot of services and a lot of sort of resources, if you will, that each individual case manager has to understand and know in order to be able to tailor something for each individual client to meet their goals, right? That is correct. We really want to meet the whole system's needs, not just necessarily what they come in for. They may just come in for a food card or a bus pass, but we really want to get to the heart of what their hardship is, what's causing the hardship, and how can we eliminate any barriers that they may face in the future. Okay. It's that little bit of not just giving a fish, but teaching somebody how to fish, getting to that, uh, you know, rooted problem, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you offer a lot of services to a very wide range of clientele. Uh, with COVID-19, obviously that pandemic has caused you to close some programs or have to change how you're operating those programs. Give us a little bit of an idea of how things have been going for you for the last four months. Sure. It's It's been quite the challenge, but fortunately, you know, throughout this pandemic, the agency has been able to maintain all of our programs and services. Of course, you know, we had to adjust the way we delivered services to ensure, you know, safety for everyone, but we have been able to maintain um, all of our programs. Back in March, um, the agency took what I would like to say a proactive approach and moved all of our shelter guests into hotels to eliminate having clients and staff working in that congregate setting. 
Um, what we then did was, you know, we provided all case management and counseling sessions, either virtually over the phone, um, through telehealth, or um, through like a Zoom. So, uh, you know, I'm actually happy to report that this month, the agency is beginning to move our shelter guests back into the shelter with strict safety precautions. The agency's uh, clients, volunteers, and staffs remain paramount. Their safety remains paramount to Catholic Charities. So that being said, as we begin to re-enter clients back into the shelter, we are requiring um, that they provide documentation of a negative COVID-19 test. They must agree to wear the mask covering their nose and mouth at all times when they're outside of you know, their assigned bedroom. Uh, we are asking again that they practice the six foot social distancing, you know, and we are completing daily symptom screenings for, for the clients as well as temperature checks. Um, in the event that uh, we have a client that tests positive for COVID-19, we, they have agreed to then quarantine at a hotel for 14 days. Um, and then again, they wouldn't be able to return until they have a negative COVID-19 test. And the same, the same goes for our employees as well. Um, we, we've created, um, you know, like a staggered schedule where we have some staff telecommuting while others are in the office certain days for certain hours. And the same thing, wearing your mask, remaining six feet apart. Um, before they arrive at the office, they must submit a uh, check-in form, which is basically the symptom screener. Um, and we have been working very diligently, Jane, to, to acquire as much uh, PPE as possible, such as masks, gloves, hand sanitizer, that we can make available for both staff and, and the clients. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's challenging, really right? That part is very challenging. It is when it's not available. Um, it's, it's challenging. So, you know, and really the, the biggest change other than the telecommuting and, and providing our services remotely is we, we will be continuing to attend meetings virtually. You know, we were not looking to get into large groups. And so that will be um, something that we continue to do moving forward. Yeah, I think it's been an interesting adjustment for many of us, right, because we've sort of got into this new virtual meeting, and it's not like WebEx and, and virtual meetings were not around before, but I think, you know, everybody prefers that human connection, but we can yeah. obviously get work done. There's ways to get work done in a virtual environment and then uh, limit those opportunities to, uh, you know, reduce any kind of safety that we need to for either clients or for staff. Uh, so when you're thinking about all the people that are in need, you know, as far as just reaching out to Catholic Charities, uh, Amy, uh, what, how should uh, folks go about doing that and what should they expect when they do reach out? Yes, we, we've seen a, a large, uh, a significant increase in, in calls for people in need. And so for those needing services in, in DuPage should be calling our Downers Grove office. Um, the number is 630-495-8008. Currently, due to safety practices, staff are only seeing clients by appointment. Um, and so we really want to make sure that clients, um, you know, we're going to be doing that screening with them. You know, do you have any symptoms before they come into our office? And so, you know, again, 
the, the needs are great. And so, you know, if people are in a good place in their life and can afford to help those most in need, again, you know, visiting our website will will give direction on how to make a donation to help us help those people in okay. need. Thinking a little bit, because I know you've moved to your mobile food truck operations. Uh, talk a little bit about how those have made a difference in this current environment. We've been partnering with Northern Illinois Food Bank for many years now on our mobile food pantry, which provides food distribution to underserved areas or what the Northern Illinois Food Bank calls, calls food deserts. Um, and so each distribution includes frozen meat, um, fresh produce, bread, nutritious, non-perishable items, as well as cleaning items. Catholic Charity staff also attend those mobiles to provide wraparound services and other resources that may benefit individuals attending. So they may be there for food again, but we want to be able to provide that, that holistic approach of meeting other needs. And so each, each truck that we've had um, it, during this COVID uh, pandemic, we have been turning cars away left and right. There's just not enough resource to meet the need. Um, of those looking for food. In, in each visit, there's about 20 volunteers that unload the food. Um, clients were able to choose what best suits their family's needs. I think, I believe it was 956 people in DuPage received uh, two weeks of food from the mobile food pantry recently. And out of those 956 individuals, 340 were children. Yeah, that's a lot, which sort of brings us a little bit to my final question, which is around the um, back to school fair. You know, that's something that a lot of your clients look forward to each and every year while we don't know what school is going to look like this year. Yeah. Uh, just give us a quick update on how people can sign up for that if they're interested in uh, that this year and how how what it will look like. Sure. This is actually our, our 30th anniversary, our 30th year. Um so Catholic Charities Back to School Fairs help prepare children from low-income households for a new school year by providing a variety of services, including free school supplies. Because of COVID, the Back to School Fair is going to look very different this year. Um, instead of having the indoor fair where we have community providers um, set up, you know, tables and vendors provide information on their services, we are hosting the event as a drive-through just to help maintain that social distancing. Um, and so we have, this is our first year having a pre-registration. We've launched a pre-registration online, um, which must be completed before the fair and is required for families to receive services. Okay. After, they re after they register, each household will be given a time frame, uh, like a time slot to attend based on their last name to help avoid waiting in lines. Okay. And that online registration form can also be located on our Catholic Charities website. Well, that sounds like you've, I mean, again, you've pivoted as you needed to, to be able to provide those essential services. Amy, I can't thank you enough for stopping by and for all the work I know you, your staff, and all your volunteers are doing to help those in need. And if you would like to find out more about the Catholic Charities Diocese of Joliet, please go and visit their website. We're going to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Spotlight. For more than 150 years, you've believed in Busey. Today, more than ever, we believe in you. 
to our healthcare workers, first responders, and local businesses, you're central to the communities we're proud to call home. Busey's grateful to partner with you and your families through life's ups and downs, today and for generations to come. Because as neighbors helping neighbors, we're in this together. Busey, grateful to serve the communities we call home. Welcome back to Spotlight. I'm your host, Jane Wynette. And joining me now from Turning Point Autism Foundation is their executive director, Carrie Provenzale. Carrie, so good to have you with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Jane. It's nice to see you. Absolutely. Good to see you, too. I wish we were in person, but okay to be safe distancing, right? Right. So Turning Point has three different programs, um, and you've obviously had to really evolve and change with the pandemic. So I'd love you to share with the viewers, if you would, kind of walk us through those three programs and what you've had to do with each. Sure. So, you know, our program that serves the most students is our therapeutic day school. It's for students junior high, high school, and transition age who are more profoundly impacted by their autism. And they're with us every day, usually for their school. And they receive their therapeutic as well as educational needs on site with us in Naperville. And since March, that program um, had to pretty much overnight go to e-learning, which is um, amazing what our teachers were able to do and our clinicians and create some virtual lessons. We used Google Classrooms to do some meetings so the kids could see each other. And as great as that was, it doesn't fully serve the need of our students in the day school. So we did send a number of our clinicians to get um, certified um, in telehealth. And we started providing, I think in April then, um, telehealth to some of the students in the day school that qualified and were interested. It's just a little bit more robust therapy um, while we're all socially distancing. And um, now that program, we're very proud this week, finally is coming back on site outside for some socially distanced, more camp structured activities but to get them used to seeing the team in the PPE yeah. and getting them back into the routine of coming to school. Our kids thrive on routine. And boy, did we all get a big shock this March when all of our routines were ups upside down. So this is a nice way to sort of step them back into getting up, coming to school, seeing our team. So we're very excited to have them back. Our Can I ask you, let me just interrupt you for a second, because I think you said two important things that I think um, I, I'd love you to share a little bit more on, Carrie. You know, one, you talked about the fact that you immediately got your staff into more certification and training. I mean, that's quite incredible. And I'd like to hear a bit more about that, but also the fact of how important routine is for your particular client. So say a little bit more. Sure. So yeah, our students thrive on uh, predictability. It's, it's often tied to just anxiety. They don't always understand what is coming next. We kind of know we're going to maybe wake up, have breakfast, go to work, those steps. But we are very good at turning point and we encourage it at home for our families to really 
make sure every student has a visual schedule so they know what's coming next in their day. Um, so that as they make those transitions, their anxiety is less, they know they have time to anticipate, oh, now we're going to the grocery store. And they can adapt easier. And most of our students thrive on schedules and routine. And so changing that from getting up and going to school every day to for a while there a lot of nothingness right because we couldn't even really leave our homes and um so um, our families are just amazing i they inspire me beyond words the creativity and ingenuity and how to create a a schedule for a day of being at home <laughs> but they do it and they find ways and then our kids can uh, it helps them cope so okay um, and then uh telehealth yeah we felt like that was really important because we knew that um our more impacted students in the day school virtual lessons uh, were just not going to be enough robust enough so um we right away invested in that and got support to make that happen so we are very proud of that and more and more as this has then turned into 30 days 60 days 90 days more and more families have come on board to do it because initially they didn't know how long they'd be without school. Okay. So that's the telehealth piece. And then our, our career college program is for less impacted adults looking for employment, um, learning about employment and communication and socially appropriate behaviors, but more in a workplace. And that program, those students did better moving to a virtual classroom. And in fact, some did really well because some of those social cues, they didn't need to worry about anymore because everything now was virtual. So it's gonna be really interesting as we see the workplaces change to virtual working, if that might actually open up an opportunity for more of our friends with autism to work there more successfully because there is a different social need in those environments. The that's fascinating. That, that's a silver lining, right? Yes, definitely. I love that you said that. We're always looking for silver linings. We also have um, an adult day pilot program. And this is again for adults, but more impacted like our day school students. And that went online, but we did, we were able to relaunch it about two weeks ago. and. And actually those those guys just what troopers. They got right back into routine. And I think um, it was hard to tell who was happier to see each other, our team to see the students or the students to see the team. So that's sort of how we evolved and adapted. And I'm just so grateful that now we're starting to step into some um, safe in-person interactions because that's what our kids need. Yeah. So, I, and you mentioned a little bit about this, Carrie, but I'd love you to tell me a little bit more in terms of just how your families, because that's such an important part, right? I mean, you obviously are working hard with your students, but you're uh, you're supporting your families. You can't do it without your families. How did they evolve? How did they cope with this whole situation? I mean, I can't even begin to share how proud I am to work with these families. They are just so full of grace about being patient with us as we try to rework things. And then um, nobody is more devoted than our families to their kids. And it is honestly, it's just very, very inspiring and a beautiful thing to get to witness. And um, they had to get very creative, like I said, and they had to really, um, and then we had to have a lot of conversations about, oh, please, you don't have to do e-learning if that's not going to work for you. Because families, you know how we are as parents, you take so much on and you want to do right by your kid. But at the end of the day, if it's not going to work for your family, that 
that's okay. And we have to give each other that sort of permission to just take care of yourself as a parent right now, because we're all living through a pandemic. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, and I've heard a lot of it, having talked to a lot of uh, teachers and, and principals and stuff. I mean, you're not just dealing with, uh, you know, teaching yourself, but you've also got all these things that you have to do your uh, for your own children at home. So it creates a very layered learning process that everybody's trying to do, and 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 it's and it is, as you said, it's just a lot. Yeah. Um, how can the community support your mission, Carrie? Oh, that's great. This this community is so good to Turning Point. We are so blessed. I and mean, we just have the most incredible board volunteers and other volunteers. But I would just ask anybody listening to keep caring and keep giving. And we are going to relaunch some volunteer opportunities to help beautify the outside spaces. Since we have learned, we're going to have to utilize those more often now. And so we're going to need some volunteer help. We still need very much donations and gifts to help us as we try and stay ahead of the curve of what's next. We, sometimes we have to date, take these leaps, like train, train clinicians in telehealth, and um, having the resources to do those things is just is, is vital right now. Um, we do also have a golf outing um, in August that we're feeling very good about right now. The numbers look great here in Illinois, and it's at a beautiful country club, Butterfield in um, Oak Brook, and it's August 31st. And golf is a very socially distanced game. We're going to cut out anything that is not. So no long drawn out dinner and auction at the end. Just uh, come out and play with us and support Turning Point while you get in um, some of your summer golf. Okay, that sounds good. Well, and I think it's interesting as you sort of talked a little bit about, I mean, uh, you know, nonprofits like all businesses are always working on a budget and, you know, you didn't have telehealth in the budget this year, right? I mean, it wasn't something you were planning on. So uh, those little extras that come in that are so vital to your mission, you know, got to find those ways to be able to fund that. Yeah. yeah. And we, um, because the the first shutdown really was in April, was the brunt of that first month. That was our awareness month. And um, we had a lot of things budgeted uh, to come in through fundraising that month that didn't. So um, there's a real need to keep making those things up now as the year progresses. And it's a good reminder for all of us that, you know, Awareness Month is a wonderful thing in April, but um, we have families in need of support all year, all 12 yeah. months. So there's never a wrong time to support organizations like ours. I think that's so true, right? Autism is a 365 day out of the year situation yeah. for those families and for those children and, and adults, right? Right. Talk a little bit, you know, obviously you've pivoted, you've made some adjustments, you've made some changes. What are some of the things that you see going forward that will be part of your new normal at Turning Point? Yeah, so that's been really interesting. Like you said, a silver lining. I think um, a lot of our career college programming will stay virtual because, um, as I mentioned, that is a really good environment for some of those students. Um, and I think we will continue to offer telehealth because that has been beneficial for our families. And actually, it was something we hadn't really thought about doing before, but it's really training families how to do a more clinical approach in their home, which mm. just sort of marries up what we're doing at school and home. And then that can translate into better outcomes for our students. And um, and I think I mentioned this when I was maybe begging for some volunteers is um, 
outdoor. We have a beautiful home on Ogden Avenue, and we've spent a lot of time and resources making the inside a best practice environment for students. But now that we have to be outside so much, we're realizing <laughs> we need to make use. We have a patio that's needing a little love right now and some gardens and things like that. So some those are some of the legacies for Turning Point as we look to next year's goals. Okay. And and if folks are interested in uh, volunteering for you, Carrie, they can do that on your website. Is there a place on your website to go for that? There is. Our website has both the sign up for golf, how to give, and a volunteer page. Opportunities. So if one of the opportunities looks better than the others, you can sign up directly to get involved on those specific days. And, you know, I think there's a lot of college kids home right now that don't have um, jobs this summer. And so if any parents are looking for things for their teenagers to do, you can encourage them to sign up for those volunteer days. That's wonderful. That's a great, and that's so true because so many people, whether, you know, they were planning on it or not, are out of internships. There are a lot of places that unfortunately can't accept volunteers right now. So uh, it hasn't just disrupted the workforce. It's also disrupted the volunteer pool and the volunteer opportunities. So good to hear that you have one. So Carrie, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for sharing with us everything that Turning Point Autism Foundation is doing. We're going to wish you the best of luck with your golf outing, and I'm sure that you will continue to pivot to take care of your clients. So thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me, Jane. If you want more information about Turning Point Autism Foundation, please go and visit their website. We're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Spotlight. I'd like to thank all of my guests for joining us today on Spotlight and to our friends at Busey Bank for their generous sponsorship of today's show. If you would like to learn more about any of the organizations we talked to today, please go and visit our website at nctv17.com. And to stay informed about what's happening around town, please sign up to receive NCTV 17 news update or like and follow us on Facebook. For Spotlight, I'm Jane Wynette. Thank you for watching. Today's Spotlight is brought to you in part by presenting sponsor, Busey Bank. Busey, your dream, our promise.